Hi, and welcome to the Very, Very Quite Contrary podcast. I'm Jani Organically, and today we're going to be talking about childhood cancer and chemotherapy, specifically mandated chemotherapy for children where there is none in place for adults. And I have with me Jeff Weitzman, filmmaker, former actor, singer-songwriter, and he is going to be sharing a little bit about his film. I'm going to be asking a lot of questions that came out of me watching the film to give you a little bit behind the scenes of what most people aren't aware of. I know I wasn't. And before you stop and say this doesn't apply to you because you don't have cancer, you don't have kids, you don't have kids with cancer, believe me, I'm in all of those categories as well. Um, And I cannot tell you how much more empowered and informed I feel should this happen to me um, to at least have access to the information of what's actually going on. Do I have any other options? What do I do if I get in a situation and I change my mind and um, what kind of rights that that we have? And um, so Jeff is such a wealth of knowledge. He's been down the road of cancer with his wife. He also made a documentary about that and parents started calling him um, about their children and their chemotherapy process and which inspired him to make this film and a reader of mine is featured in the film and she had sent it to me and said hey would you watch this and I was shocked with what was happening and I was mostly shocked that I didn't even know about it so I wanted to give you this information a little insight into the topic and let you listen to my conversation with Jeff because he's more of an expert than I am my expertise is in asking those questions and so you get to listen in on that and so here he is all right so we're here I've got Jeff with me. And now, Jeff, your film, Flipping the Script, shows how the the U.S. medical system affects children with cancer and their families. And the focus of the film is, is mostly on leukemia and lymphomas. But what seemed to be the trend was that many patients were going into remission within months or weeks or some with even, even within days of their initial mm-hmm. chemo treatment. But yes. the parents are forced to continue chemotherapy treatment for their child for anywhere from two to four years under threat of having their child taken from them by CPS. So first of all, I did not know this. So I watched the film with great surprise and ultimately a righteous anger. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there were mandates forcing chemo on children in remission. And so I come from more of a holistic approach to medicine. And though I do recognize the need for emergency medicine, in fact, it saved my daughter and I during her birth, mm. um, I do have... I have had a negative reaction towards chemo, but it only comes from a place of observation. And, you know, we all know people with cancer. um, And from what I've observed, the story is, can be the same in many cases. You discover the cancer, you start chemo, all seems good, cancer comes back, it's bigger and more aggressive, Mm -hmm. person deteriorates, person dies. Mm -hmm. And I see this happen over and over and over, and it makes me sad. And But I've also never walked those shoes, so I don't pretend 
to know exactly how I would respond to a cancer diagnosis in the wake of confusion, medical mm-hmm. intimidation, fear mm-hmm. tactics, threat of removing my child, <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to find a lawyer, educate myself yeah. on the specific type of cancer and stage. So, so I just want to say that up front before anybody accuses me of being so far removed from this and pretending that it's easy. I know it's not. Um, So the purpose of me having you here today is to educate the listeners on, A, the state of chemotherapy and mandates for children, and are they in place for adults? Uh, What what is cancer? What what do we know? Um, What is chemo? What are the actual documented success rates? What are the alternatives that are available? What's being studied? Uh, what's the law? What's the role of CPS? What's the rights of parents? Mm-hmm. And how to go and get, you know, an action plan um, in place for, for you or your family. And for anybody who may, you maybe cancer is not a part of your life, you don't know anybody with cancer, or know any children with cancer, your child doesn't have cancer. This is still really good information to be prepared. Um, the cancer rates seem to um, be getting higher and higher. Well, and it and relates to all medical procedures too. It, it, Yeah, that's true. And I think, you know, uh, there's no harm in being prepared and having information um, to help you make educated decisions about, um, you know, medical procedures in your life in general. And so uh, first, so maybe you can share uh, with the listeners how you've actually already walked this road before with your wife and her her diagnosis and treatment options, and then going on to answer that call for the childhood process in the US. Yeah. So my wife had bladder cancer uh, almost four years ago. And she was told by a doctor that she was going to have to have her bladder removed, followed by chemo and radiation. And uh, that just sounded horrible to us. Along with that surgery, they have to cut the vagina in half to make everything fit afterwards. And um, fortunately for us, her sister had had cancer five years prior. She had had a malignant melanoma. And she went to Germany to treat her cancer naturally with focused heat, ozone therapy and IV nutrients and her cancer was gone in 30 days. Wow. And so we thought, what do we have to lose? So we asked our urologist, we said, can we go to Germany and treat this cancer naturally as opposed to having the bladder removed? Mm -hmm. And he looked us in the eye and said, there is no way you could go to Germany and treat this. And I think what's disturbing, you know, is how uh, forceful and sure they are about something that they have done so little research on. Mm-hmm. So they claim to be the gold standard. They claim to do the peer-reviewed, double-blind clinical review study on everything they do. But what they don't tell you is that they're only testing the things they want to test mm-hmm. that make money. And they're not testing the things that don't make money because, well, why would you do that? And we have a system in the U.S. where the allopathic medical community was – they were the first ones to pay off the FDA and government to say that allopathic medicine is the only medical opinion that counts in this country. And Who who paid off the – Right. So back in the day when when the Carnegies and the Rockefellers – started investing in hospitals and in uh, medical care, they 
um, at that time, there were naturopaths, mm -hmm. there were holistic doctors, there were all kinds of different people you could go to. And so uh, the, the allopathic medical people wanted to get rid of that threat, which is just good business, mm -hmm. you know. And so they got the FDA, the FDA, Federal Food and Drug Administration, to define what is classified as you know, true medical care and what is quackery. Mm -hmm. And so everybody who doesn't fall under the line. And, and this wasn't a scientific study to determine what's the best way to treat our citizens. Mm -hmm. This was a financial decision where one party paid another party to say, <laughs> right. it, you know, it's like the music business. You know, you just pay Ola, you pay the radio station to play your song. It's not because the song is great. It's because mm -hmm. you're getting paid. And I was in the music business, so I understand that. But... um Anyway, uh, the situation with my wife, she went to Germany. Her cancer was cured in 30 days. It was focused heat because cancer can't survive above 105 degrees. It's called hyperthermia. They used ozone therapy to put oxygen in the blood because cancer does not like oxygen. And then IV nutrients to boost the immune system. And her cancer, like I said, was gone in 30 days. Um, she got back and a few months later, a small polyp started growing in her bladder. And so, um, a, a, the small polyp started growing. And so she, um, had that small polyp scraped off, but she realized she needed to change her nutrition and start detoxing her body. And she did that. And the cancer didn't come back for another two years. And then she started having some teeth issues, some infections from some old root canals, Again, the cancer came back briefly. She had that scraped off, had her teeth dealt with, and then the cancer stayed away. Um, so that's interesting that you say that, though, because I have heard that you know many. I don't remember the exact statistics, but the there is a seems to be some sort of um, connection with root canal um, and cancer. Yeah, and there's a new film on Netflix now about root canals and how horrible they are. And it's, it makes so much money for the dentists that mm -hmm. for years they have avoided looking at the evidence, but the evidence is overwhelming now. And any dentist that does a root canal is completely out of touch with medical science and needs to go back and study. You, you can't cut off the nerve supply and the blood supply to a tooth mm -hmm. and leave that in the body because it becomes a gangrenous organ. Right. And then on top of that, it becomes a, an area for infection to happen and multiply. And the immune system goes to fight that first and lets go of all the other things in the body it needs to be taken care of. And normally, under a normal immune system, it takes care of cancer cells. But if it's having to fight a tooth infection, right. it will fight that first and let the cancer go. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, let's get, let's get back to kids here. So after uh, I made a film called Cancer Can Be Killed about all these success stories of people treating their cancer naturally and um, recent, you know, like two months after the film came out, parents started calling me saying, hey, wait a minute, my child's in remission from leukemia or lymphoma. They went into remission in the first 10 to 30 days why am I being forced into two to four years of chemotherapy? And the doctors are saying, so the cancer doesn't come back. And at first I thought, well, that's ridiculous. That hmm. We can get you out of this conundrum very quickly. 
And what I found was that no doctor would stand up for a child against this protocol and no lawyer would represent the families against this protocol. So Mm -hmm. that got me on my feet to start making a new film, um, which is called Flipping the Script, and it's out on Amazon Prime Videos. And in the process of filming Flipping the Script, we found out how to stop long-term chemotherapy, how to give parents the power to decide what to do for their children. And we were able to easily um, educate child protective service workers, attorneys, and um, really the only people we weren't able to uh, educate were the pediatric oncologists. Uh, But of course, they're making two to three million dollars a year. So um, it's very hard to convince them. So when you say that the the protocol is two to four years, is that uh, coming from each individual hospital? Is that a nationwide uh, mandate? How, who yeah, makes there's, these rules? There's a, there's a national group called Children's Oncology Group. And Children's Oncology Group makes all the decisions for all the cancers for children. And they say, this is it. You do this, there's no other choice. And then it's up to the states, each each individual state, to enforce that mandate. And so let's say a child gets cancer, they go into remission in the first 30 days, the parents say, we don't want to do this anymore, no more chemo, we're going to treat our our child with nutrition and detox and, and maybe some cannabis oil, and we're going to be good to go. And the doctor says, well, you can't do that. And I'm going to call Child Protective Services because you're a negligent parent. And so then Child Protective Services comes to the house. That's um, if they do decide, they say, go for it. I'm taking my kid out. Exactly. The parents but some say parents no more are, chemo. Some parents are just like frightened by that threat alone and, and keep going with the chemo. Most parents are frightened by that. And it's overwhelming to have a child with cancer and an antagonistic doctor that's threatening your connection to your child. It's just, it's beyond the pale. It's so unbelievable. Well, yeah, because it's its either you give them the chemo or they're removed from your home and somebody else who they don't know who doesn't love them is giving them the chemo. Right. Right. So um, in the process of making this film, we, we found the answer is to call the doctor's bluff and to say, go ahead, call Child Protective Services. And then when Child Protective Services comes to the door, you educate Child Protective Services and say, look, here's what's going on. Here are the studies that show that chemotherapy does not kill cancer stem cells. And um, adults don't go through this treatment that children go through. And um, you can also show CPS, uh, you know, besides that chemotherapy doesn't kill cancer stem cells, that chemotherapy actually causes secondary cancers. Mm -hmm. And the cause of leukemia and lymphoma are toxins. The body was unable to process too many toxins at once. Mm -hmm. And so these cancer cells developed. And the answer is get the toxins out, get Mm -hmm. the nutrition in, and cancer has no more room to grow. But None of these things have been studied by medicine because they're making too much money. They make $1.5 million per child. Why would they want to test cannabis oil? And, you know, their argument is, well, we've taken people off of chemo after they went in remission, and then the children just relapsed again. Mm -hmm. But we put the children on three years of chemo, 
and we have a 90% success rate. Yeah, so where is that 90% coming from? (laughs) No, it sounds so good, right? You're like, oh, well, okay, if that's the case. But the fact is when they took these kids off of chemo after the first 30 days when they went in remission, they didn't do anything for the children after that. They, these children needed to have their guts repaired, they, they, their bodies in shock from all that chemotherapy. These children need to be detoxed. They need IV nutrients. They need restoration. Right. So, of course, they're going to relapse. Right. But, you know, again, they weren't able to test anything else. So they put these children on three years of chemo because children's immune systems are so strong that they can take it. So they just give them the three years of chemo and hope for the best. Right. Now, let's talk about that 90% success rate and what that actually means. So all that means is they have a 90% success rate of getting a child to five more years of survival okay. without cancer returning. And um, not statistically included in that 90% rate are children who die from chemotherapy, children who die from organ failure because of chemotherapy, um, children who die from the flu or a virus because of immune suppression due to chemotherapy. So the actual statistic should be like, I don't know, 30% maybe uh, success rate. And then when you factor in that that if a child gets relapses five days and a year later, they're still considered a success. Right. Yeah. Um, all the children with brain damage from the long-term chemo, that's considered a success. I mean, you know, you can see why parents who are savvy uh, realized this is ludicrous. I mean, it's not success if my child is passing out, if they're throwing up 50 times a day, if they're, they've got brain damage and we can see it on scans. Mm-hmm. So um, it, was, it was really very exciting to have parents contact me and for us to get the upper hand on this thing and find ways to save children. So, and it's interesting that um, their protocol with the two to four years of mandated chemo because children's immune systems are stronger than mm-hmm. adults yes. um, seems is almost laughable to me because if we go and let's define what cancer is, if their immune system was functioning properly, mm-hmm. um, would that even give cancer the ability to have thrived in their body in the first place? Right, exactly. And that's why so many children don't get leukemia or lymphoma because they have a healthy immune system. And so so, something that I seem to have come come to learn, and maybe you can tell me if this is accurate with uh, a cancer, is that it, it, it... it occurs with people with an impaired immune system, and um, we all have, or at some point, encounter like we have these cancer cells in our body, and our and a healthy immune system would identify those cancer cells and eliminate them. But if your immune system is malfunctioning, your body has a hard time identifying those, or like you mentioned earlier, maybe it's focused in on another threat in your body. And so the cancer has a chance to grow or spread. Would that be inaccurate? That is accurate. Yeah, that is accurate. And it's, it's not just, um, you know, emotional issues can weaken an immune system and then that can allow cancer to flourish because cancer is just opportunistic. It's just trying to grow whenever it can. And, a healthy body eliminates it 
And when there's, you know, some compromise in some way, then cancer jumps in and goes, yay, I get to flourish. So, um, you know, our goal is to keep ourselves uh, healthy and uh, then cancer really doesn't have a foothold. And so something else that you see in the film, because you interview several families that um, are, are the savvy ones that are like, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. My child is in remission. I shouldn't have to subject them to um, this chemo. And um, I remember one family in particular who was saying that part of part of what it was doing to them was they had to be the ones to administer the chemo at home mm. in hazmat suits, getting uh-huh. everybody else out of out of the house um, so that their one child who is uh, the most weakened has to ingest this poison, but the healthier ones in the family, they they can't be exposed to it. And to have your young child see you administer said poison was, um, it didn't seem right to them. Um, but uh, so I, I identified with that. Um, but also, they all, all, every single family seemed to have something in common. Uh, was that the child that got the lymphoma or leukemia, they had a, they were sick, like they had a bad virus. And then it was paired with something else, like you were mentioning earlier, like there's an overload of toxins in the system. And so they had had an exposure to, um, perhaps it was something like glyphosate or Roundup, um, or it was a vaccination paired with, you know, a bad virus. And the, the two together created a overload in the body's system. And exactly. maybe it's overloaded, overstimulated, and showed up as cancer. Exactly. Yeah. So, so what happened in all of these children was that their bodies were overwhelmed with toxins, and it either came in the form of uh, a vaccine plus a virus plus Roundup weed killer um, or a toxic dump being located very close to the house All right. um, or uh, uh, an electrical box placed right outside the child's bedroom mm. window where their head was or exposure to EMFs, um, electromagnetic fields. And so it's, it's not just one thing, it's multiple things to the point mm. where the body just couldn't take it. And the other issue with all these children is genetically – they have some sort of a chromosome or a gene that their DNA, they're not able to process toxins as well as other people. And so a number of them had the MTHFR gene. Some of them had some other chromosome issues. Um, But that, you know, that explains why certain children have bad reactions to vaccines and other children don't. And I mean, even within my family, um, my children had varied reactions to vaccines and it, it confused me, you know, and I thought, Oh, well the vaccine can't be bad because both children didn't have the same response, but it it took me a while to understand that, Oh my God, my children have their own genetic makeups and some of them process toxins well and others don't. And so for all these children, you add up all the factors, which is inability to process toxins combined with toxins equals cancer flourishing. Right. So I, I do want to get into like, what is, what is chemo? Um, but uh, when, when, 
when cancer does flourish, another thing that is discussed in this film um, is that uh, they're... I don't know the way to phrase this because I don't want to say they're not cancer, but there there was one particular case where uh, their child's um, levels had, had gotten checked at one hospital and it was more yes. of a remote, remote hospital. Five hours later, it's checked at a different hospital and now it doesn't qualify as cancer anymore, like five hours later. Right. What 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 is that? What happened? Yeah. So So the body really is trying to heal itself. And and so when you get leukemia it's you get an abundance of what's called white blood cell blasts and that that is the body's own mechanism of trying to fight off the cancer and in many cases um if these if these children and these parents were allowed to just do some iv nutrients um or do something else you know very healthy uh, the blood cell blasts would drop and you would no longer be able to call it leukemia. And, but we don't ever have that option. You know, we don't have the option to give kids IV nutrients instead mm -hmm. of chemo. And so in the case of this one mother who, you know, her child was, was diagnosed with leukemia, she really felt like they rushed to judgment on that whole leukemia. And, um, and, and her concern is valid. So uh, doctors and hospitals are very quick to call something cancer and get the process started on chemo. And that first 30 days is when they make about $500,000. So it's really to their interest to get it quote, unquote, quote unquote, be overly cautious about taking care of the child. But in, in reality, it's just a great way to make money. But let's talk about chemo for a second because chemo um, does have its place. Mm -hmm. And let's say a family doesn't want to do any nutrition or detox. They really don't care, and they're going to take their child to McDonald's every day. And they don't have money to do any naturopathic stuff. For these people, chemo, not necessarily a bad option. It wouldn't be the option I choose. But chemo, what it does is it does kill cancer, cancer cells. It doesn't kill the stem cells. It doesn't still kill the mothership, but it does kill all the outliers. And so the theory is you use chemo to kill all the cancer cells and then just hope the body can rebuild itself and the immune system can survive. So would, would you liken it to like a sort of like an antibiotic where you, you take an antibiotic and it kills the bad bacteria along with the good bacteria? So when you definitely take chemo. it kills everything, it just kills everything, and that's the problem with chemo is it can't tell the difference between the good guys and the bad guys. It just kills everybody. So that's that's the problem with it. I mean, the benefit is that it really drops those uh, cancer numbers down quickly. Mm. But the other fact, it's it's like a Las Vegas gambler. So he'll he'll get a high, you know, which is like going in remission, mm -hmm. and then there's a crash immediately after. And now the cancer cells will rebound and flourish and they'll be stronger than they were before. Then you put the patient on more chemo. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, yeah, it's like the gambler. Yeah, I just want a million bucks. But then they lose two million bucks the next day. And, and that's what happens when the person goes off chemo, everything just, the cancer cells just come back and they're stronger than they were before. So when the, when the chemo basically burns down the house there yeah. are some uh, survivors now would those 
survivors be um, cancer stem cells or exactly. a, f- a few cancer non-stem cells? M- mostly the cancer stem cells that are surviving. And it, it, it kills all the sort of outlying cells. But the cancer stem cells survive and they're protected and they find a way to, to move around the body and to get away from whatever's trying to kill them. Um, and, you and they're know, my, replicating, right? They're... They, they are. And, and my wife, for example, who has, um, has had bladder cancer, when we get her blood test w- tested with microscopy, which is you put the blood under a microscope and look at it, we see that she still has cancer cells in her, in her blood. And the beauty is as a result of all the good things she's doing, her cancer cells are surrounded by T cells Mm-hmm. And those T cells are taking care of the cancer beautifully. So um, this is how it should be. And what we have with chemotherapy is chemotherapy is just destroying the T cells and destroying the bone marrow and all the cells in the body, not giving the immune system a chance to do what it's supposed to do. And so that's the problem with chemo. It just creates so much devastation that um, it's a temporary fix. It's not a long-term solution. And um, it, it just makes a lot of money for doctors and drug companies. So there could be a place for chemo, even with children, to do a short blast and then go uh, inter- intervene with more nutritional uh, Yeah. I, I, ideally, for the family who has no other option, they do the chemo for 30 days, their child goes in remission. And then after that you know, insurance covers them to get IV nutrients and cannabis oil and detox strategies and the children would be fine. And I say that because all a hundred percent of the children in the film who use cannabis oil, detox and nutrition are thriving and they're getting tested on a regular basis. So we know they have no cancer in their bodies and we know they're thriving, but they all have repair work to do from the chemotherapy. Right. But that's not necessarily an option where you go, you you get diagnosed, they say, we need to start chemo. And you're like, great, let's do it for 30 days. Now we're going to transition off and we're going to do IV uh, therapy. Nobody's going to go for that just because you're saying that's what I want to choose for my child. There's not a single doctor in the country that will do that. And probably not a single doctor in the world that will offer what we already know to be true, what we already know to heal these children. And that's the mess we're in right now. And I got to say, though, the great news is we are in an age of discovery and of social media Mm -hmm. and of parents talking to parents. And um, this will not last. (laughs) It cannot last because we care too much about our children and uh, we care too much about our rights as individuals. And so... um, you know, already since I've made this film, oh my gosh, you know, doctors are, are becoming awakened. Mm-hmm. They are, doctors are grateful for this film. So um, it, it's just a matter of time before we turn this whole thing around. And so uh, I did, um, there was a study at the, uh, oh gosh, it was the Journal of American Medical Association that had put out a study that said that chemo can cause the healthy cells to secrete a protein that protects cancer cells? Mm, not surprising because um, they do, you know, those cancer cells are trying to protect themselves. And 
the chemo the, the chemo kills a lot of the cancer cells, but for those cells it doesn't kill, those guys double down on their efforts mm-hmm. to get stronger. And part of that is creating a stronger protein layer that allows them to survive. Interesting. And so for anybody listening, again, I, I just um, had heard it referenced. I looked it up. It's um, if you just want to Google the title, title is chemotherapy may co-opt healthy cells to support tumors, um, J-A-M-A, which is, you know, the Journal of American Medical Association. Um, but so basically, I, I do have another question about chemo, though. Um, so you get a, you get around a chemo. Forget that we've just killed off all the healthy healthy cells for a second, but say after your first round of chemo, you change to another type. Would the cancer stem cells that survived be as resistant to this uh, different type of chemotherapy? Yeah, there no chemotherapy is that good that it somehow <laughs> tricks them. Yeah, trick the trick the cancer cells. It's just not that good. And if you get the really expensive bags of chemotherapy, which is called PEG, like they're around $54,000 to $75,000. Those, those are really effective. At, at, they're the most effective at killing the cancer cells, but there's always some that survive. And um, I've seen it over and over again, and I've seen these children relapse. So um, no, there is no chemotherapy that is totally effective. Okay. So I, I think um, you know, in, in in science and medicine in general, I, I I'm just I hate black and white statements. And this is the only answer. This is the only way. And right now, this is like chemotherapy. How many years have we been doing chemotherapy? It seems um, ancient at this point. That this is yeah. the best we can do for with our all of our advances in medicine over the past. I don't know what forty, fifty years that, at least, and um, so as of right now, there doesn't seem to be legitimate. Well, not legitimate, but like other other treatment plans being studied, as you mentioned before, because of there's there's a profit mo- motive. Um, so parents are you know locked in uh, to that process, um, and we've already you've already talked about how um, the medical community has. Their five-year, that's their goal, is we just need to get them survive, um, surviving for like five years. Uh, so there's no, um, there's no rush. There's no expectation that they need to do anything additional. Five years is like their gold standard. And so how do they expect the immune system to just be repaired on its own? They would, they would have to admit that, yeah, we've burned your immune system to the ground but we have no strategy to really help you. And here's a donut while you're taking, you know, your chemotherapy. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, they, they, you know, children are amazing. Their immune systems are phenomenal. Um, That's why aborted fetal tissue is worth so much money um, because it's the fountain of youth, you know, and, and the stem cell work that you can do, like if a mother can save her placenta or, or the cord, and somehow freeze those stem cells, those things can be used in the future. So uh, that's the hope, you know, is that children can rebound after that. But but no, you're right. It's it's horrible and they're relapsing and they're dying and they're, it's not a success rate at all what's happening. It's, it's luck, you know, that anybody survives that horrendous onslaught. Um, but, you know, the trick that they, that they do with us is that they say, Cancer is a life-threatening disease. Mm-hmm. Um, 
mumps, uh, rubella, measles, life-threatening disease. Mm -hmm. When you look a little deeper, these are not life-threatening diseases. These are diseases that have been treated ineffectively. Uh, they've been treated poorly. And if these diseases are treated uh, responsibly uh, and, and you know, with things that work, they're no problem. And, you know, if somebody gets the measles, that actually helps them to create immunities. So um, the way they, they con us is they say that cancer is a life-threatening disease. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we have to do X, Y, and Z. And isn't it amazing that it's no longer a life-threatening disease and we can get these children to five years of survival? But the smoking gun for me has always been um, you're not testing the things that we know work. And if you're not doing that, you do not have a leg to stand on. You can't mandate anything that hasn't been tested against something else. And if it's toxic and it's killing just one person, you absolutely can't mandate it. And in my mind, putting these kids on long-term chemotherapy is, is criminal. Taking bladders out of patients' bodies who have bladder cancer is criminal. And... Um, you know, just just in the in the world of of bladder cancer, my wife got hyperthermia, which is focused heat, which is so effective that in the Philippines they offer a money back guarantee that if if hyperthermia doesn't kill fifty percent of your cancer in thirty days, they'll give you your money back. And what does the FDA do with that information? The FDA does not allow hyperthermia to be even tested in this country. And so when you see things like that, when you see they're not willing to test cannabis oil, you, you just have to look the doctors in the eye and say, I'm sorry, you have no leg to stand on. Um, it, it, it's not ethical. It's, it's, in fact, it's criminal, although we don't have a court right now who can prosecute you. Right. You have to understand it's criminal for you to be giving toxic substances to children and not testing anything else. And when you say they can't test anything like um, hypothermia, would that be like government uh, laboratories or could like an independent lab in the United States, they can test whatever they want? Right. So the, the makers of hyperthermia machines, there's one called Pyrexar. I talked with the CEO from his company and he told me, I am not allowed to test my machines in clinical trials on cancer. They will not allow it. Not in the and United States. Not in the United States. Okay. They won't even allow it to be tested in Germany. In Germany, they will allow it to be uh, used, but not tested, and not and because then you'd prove it, right? You'd prove that cancer can be killed with hyperthermia. Do they do they have a reason why they can't be tested? They say it's oh, it's unethical, or what do they what do they say? Uh, they say because um, we already have uh, things in place. Oh my god! That that are effective. <laughs> When we don't want it, we don't even want to see if we can do something better. Right. I mean, for the for the naive, it's important to know that this world is ruled by money. Yeah. And that the, the very top of the food chain, they're sociopaths and they have no concern for the things that the rest of us <laughs> care about, mm -hmm. which is stuff like ethics, integrity, health, spirituality. At that level, those guys just want money. And they will do anything, you know, to keep the, the money rolling in. 
And then you, I think you had mentioned earlier, like we have so much access today and what I, I, we were just talking about this, um, the global health threat um, being vaccine hesitancy, making the World Health Organization list um, because we're digitally enabled to share information. And I'm like, that's a threat. Like being able to talk to one another and say, hey, I think they're withholding information about any number of these things. Like you, you mentioned the measles too. And uh, they'll use global statistics about these uh, undernourished, malnourished um, individuals with vitamin A deficiency, which are the main reasons for, or in lack of sanitation being the main reasons for complications to the measles. And so you get somebody with that's, you know, not that's eating well, that has vitamin A, they're, they're not going to have any, any side effects to the measles, the measles. And and then things like vaccination as a whole, um, and chemotherapy, it's like they're, everything seems to be designed to like be sanitizing our immune system when in fact we should be exposing it to build antibodies naturally. And it's all about protecting against a few, you know, illnesses with these side effects that we may not be aware of, um, things being mandated, like vaccination, like chemotherapy, and not allowing our immune system to do what it was designed to do with so much artificial stimulation. Yeah, I like the way this nurse put it in the film, Flipping the Script. She said, allopathic medicine has forgotten that the body has the ability to heal itself. And, you know, that these kids, they're not just getting horrible side effects from the chemo, they're also getting very bad side effects from the antibiotics, from the steroids, Mm -hmm. from the long-term bombardment uh, of of their bodies. And, um, you know, we we haven't been taught of the dangers of antibiotics and and of steroids, and they they are very dangerous. And um, it's uh, just really sad to watch you know, the kids just everything just deteriorate. And we're back to that problem of they can't recognize the good guys from the bad guys. You know, healthy bacteria is good. Um, mm-hmm. Probiotics are good. Uh, we we don't need to just bombard the body with toxins to kill off stuff. <laughs> we need to nurture the body and let the body kill off the bad stuff. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and I, um, you know, I know I want to, I want to talk, you know, to help (laughs) parents not feel like scared um, about uh, what may be happening or may happen to their child. I I never, never want to be like fear mongering. I just want to be educating so that people have access to information and know where to go if the event arises and understand how, you know, what we know now about the immune system and how important it is to, to eat well and, um, you know, be detoxing appropriately. And, um, but one thing that really, um, uh, spoke to me, maybe super cautious. Was so one one of the families featured in your film. Um, she is a reader of my blog, and she's the one who sent me the film and said, "Hey, we're being featured. Um, would you would you take a look at this?" And so I watched it, and um, something that she shared with me later, I don't believe it was mentioned in in the film, was that she she first of all, you know, they were told that. Um, 
their child needed chemotherapy and needed it right away. Her husband wasn't in the room and she um, she said, I, I need to go find my husband. I need to go talk to him first. And they're like, well, there's no reason to. Like, we're, we're starting this. It's, you know, she's mm-hmm. uh, your child needs it right away. And and she, and she said, no, well, I just, I, I, I'm not going to have my husband come back in the room and see that we've started this without talking to him. Mm-hmm. And so it took her a while to convince them that she was going to go and talk to her husband and they were going to pray about it. And, and she told me that within the 20 minutes that it took to find her husband and pray about it, um, that when they had come back, they had already had a medical guardian in place. Had they come back and said, we don't want to do chemo, that they were going to do it anyway. And they were going to remove the parents from that process. And that's frightening because after watching this film, I thought, okay, well, if I'm ever in this situation and, you know, they, they come back with my child and says, oh, they have cancer. We got to, it's, it's emergent. We're going to, you know, give her chemotherapy. I would say, hold on. I'm going to go get a second opinion. Um, but that may not be an option. They may have signed over medical guardianship to somebody else. Like that's, that's terrifying to me. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's talk about options that parents have in those situations. And, and what I liked about this family is that they chose the option to say, you know, chemotherapy is on our team for now. Right. Uh, we're not sure if it's going to be forever. And, um, they ended up signing the release form, you know, saying that doctors could do what they were doing. And I've heard of another family that crossed out all of the things on the paper they were supposed to sign that said that they were going to do chemo for any longer than the child going into remission. Okay. And and I thought that was brilliant because yeah. that sort of takes away that that mandate. Um but the key to all this whole thing is to um work with everybody and instead of being antagonistic and um belittling, which I would be, <laughs> is is to be very loving and supportive and at all times say thank you so much for your care and concern and let's do this for now. And um, if they give you something to sign, you just cross out everything that you don't want to do and sign what you are willing to do. And, you know, I, I would say in this time that we live in, I'm going to have passports for everybody in the family. That if I need to take off, you know, I need to have that option. And um, it's good to know a family law attorney in your neighborhood just in case, you know, some rogue medical doctor says that you're a negligent parent for not doing what I tell you to do, whether it's, you know, anything from a vaccine to a chemo treatment. Mm -hmm. And so if CPS is called – and every community is different. You know, most communities, Child Protective Services really doesn't want to take your child away. They really just want to eliminate a negligent parent and eliminate a liability to the state. And so if you can convince them that you're uh, really looking out for the health of the child, they will support you. Right. And in those very few communities where there are corrupt Child Protective Services organizations, in those cases, it's important to have an attorney present for every meeting with CPS, and that usually allows CPS to sort of back off a little. So um, that's kind of the trick for parents to get out of being manipulated. 
Well, and I think you bring up a good point about not being antagonizing because I think as parents, um, especially like the, the mama bears who want to be protective of, of their child, we can react very strongly um, to any sort of threat. And so that could come out, you know, as, you know, fangs and claws when, and so we may, we may not be in the right state of mind to act appropriately that doesn't raise red flags to CPS. And in all cases that, um, that you talk about CPS um, uh, working directly with the families, they didn't seem to be as big of a threat or enemy when um, when they were invited in, and sh- they were the parents were able to educate them. Look, I love my child. You can see that they're not in emergent health, dire stress. This is what I'm doing. I have another doctor um, in team in place and they're thriving um like would would you advise um how would you advise going about um if you if you've gotten that diagnosis and you had to start chemo and now you want to leave like what what is the first step because cps is is um it's sort of like having the uh when you're driving and you see the cop lights behind you, like there's there's an immediate sense of dread and and fear uh, that CPS is going to get involved. Yeah. So one of the things that I've been able to do for families is um, give them a list of questions to have CPS ask the doctors. Um, so once I, 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 you know, I would probably do the chemotherapy to get my child in remission. And after 30 to 45 days, at that point, I would tell the doctor, we're not going to do any more chemo. Um, we're aware that you have to call CPS and, you know, do what you need to do, but we're not going to do any more chemo. With and the lawyer that, present? And no, I would just say that to the doctor. And then the doctor would call CPS. And then when CPS made wants to make an appointment to meet with you, um, you can meet with them, invite them into your home, explain to them um, that... Uh, you know, we have new information about better ways to treat children than with long-term chemo. And so back to that thing, if I can provide families with a list of questions for CPS to ask the doctors, questions like, how much money are you getting in kickbacks for this chemo treatment? Um, Does the 90% success rate statistically include children killed by chemo? And, you know, does chemotherapy kill cancer stem cells? Questions that basically reveal the fact that long-term chemo is a guess. Mm -hmm. It's rolling the dice and there's no scientific evidence for it whatsoever. Um, And that's good enough. You know, that usually is enough to relieve the situation and for the parents to get free. Um, But don't you, would you need to have another doctor and team in place? And is that hard to find? Yeah, so that takes a little work, and while the child is in, is getting chemotherapy to go into remission, at that point, I would do a you know a search in a five state radius to find naturopaths, functional medicine doctors, holistic providers um, that are willing to do things like IV nutrients and testing, and. Um, if your state is cannabis legal, then you can also say that your child is on cannabis oil. If it's not a legal state, then you can, um, find ways to work around that. Um, but like by moving, you can, you can move, uh, you can, um, get a medical necessity, 
card that allows you to do cannabis in your state. Um, there, you know, there are ways to, to even in, in the illegal states to do cannabis. So, um, but yeah, you have to have a new health team in place and you have to be able to show CPS that your child is in fact in remission and staying in remission. And you can do that with that new health team. Okay. So if they get a, a cancer diagnosis, they're, they're not in remission. You have never started chemo that they're not necessarily going to be a candidate for you calling and educating CPS. At this stage, that's too much of an uphill battle. And even if you move to another country, uh, it's going to be hard to find any medical doctor that will treat your child. So um, 10 years from now, yeah, we'll have cannabis oil and um, probiotics and enzymes that will immediately save these kids' lives and they won't have to do chemo, but we're not there yet. Okay. And so you had mentioned running tests. So, and, and on the, on the, um, your film, flipping the script, you mentioned, I don't know if it was you specifically, but some of the doctors and talking about maybe, um, your new team, usually it would be like an integrative, um, or holistic doctor, naturopathic doctor running some tests that I had never heard of. Um, but that doesn't mean anything because I've never, you know, experienced cancer. So, um, can you talk a little bit about yeah. those tests? Yeah, there's one test called a Nagalase test, and the Nagalase test can determine if there's any cancer still in the body. Um, that's great, and that's only about $200. There's another test called live cell dark field microscopy. It's growing in its awareness and its practice. It's definitely something that the medical industry doesn't want you to know about because it's so effective. But what you do is take a prick of blood from the finger, put that under a microscope, and you can see if there's any cancer cells. You can see if the T cells are solid and working. You can see if there's white blood cells. All the things necessary to know if the child's in danger or not. And um, I've watched a number of children do that um, live cell dark field microscopy. And um, it's been thoroughly effective, not just at knowing if there was cancer, but also knowing if the immune system was strong enough to fight any new cancer that comes through. So somebody like me, my, nobody in my family has been diagnosed with cancer. We could call around maybe some integrative naturopathic um, facilities and ask, do you do live cell dark field microscopy and see if, if they're doing that? And would that be something that would be a benefit for somebody? I would do it. I would do it. I would, everyone, um, it's the greatest test for everyone out there to know exactly what's going on in their blood. And then a skilled practitioner will be able to say, you know, okay, obviously you need some magnesium or you need some protease or you need probiotics or you need to repair your gut. They would, you know, somebody who knows what they're doing would be able to tell you where to go from there. But just having that information of what's going on in your body, that's like gold. Yeah. I, so, um, I had never yeah. heard of that until I talked to you um, I don't know, last, last week. And, and you also had mentioned protease. So can you explain what protease is? Yep. Yeah. Protease is a type of enzyme that breaks down the proteins in the body. It manufactures new white blood cells. It, it's like steroids is to a bodybuilder, only it's all natural, it's all plant-based, and it, it cannot harm the body in any way. 
So um, protease is the most undervalued, underappreciated supplement in the entire supplement world. And a lot of people don't know about it yet. But um, if you take protease and you take digestive enzymes when you eat and you take probiotics, that's it. Your body is solid. And from there, you're just you know repairing or treating little deficiencies that uh, you need. And so uh, for somebody like me who I'm like an ingredient, I scour all the ingredients and I look at supplements and are they synthetic? Is is there like, is protease like there is a, it's manufactured one way or are there multiple different types of, you know, different brands and you're like, what are we looking for on the label? Yeah. You, you want to look for a plant-based protease rather than um, an animal products protease. Um but yeah, you want to find a, a, a plant-based protease that has the highest number of whatever the things are in it. I think it's called HUTs. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, you can you can even go on Amazon and you can find um, different proteases and look for the ones that are that are plant-based and that are the strongest. Awesome. Okay. Well, that's that's a really um good tip. I'd never heard of that supplement and I'll go and look around and um, see what I can find. Um, but also I, I'm very interested in, in doing like a live cell dark field microscopy. Now, my first instinct is that going to your regular allopathic medicine doctor, A, they're not going to run it. B, I don't necessarily want them to have that information because if there is something going on, they might um, require me to do something with it as if it was like my child mm-hmm. or as a private lab um, or these integrative functional medical doctors that maybe aren't um, affiliated with insurance companies. That's your private medical history that nobody has, but them and you. That's exactly right. I mean, the people that are doing microscopy are not in the allopathic side. There are allopathic people that are open to it and would welcome it and would be interested in seeing it. Um, but the test itself is going to be done by probably a naturopathic practitioner in your area. Got it. Okay. No, that's really helpful. I think that, um, I think people are going to be really, in, like, they're Googling it right now. <laughs> um, and so there, there are families, you know, that have chosen to leave the country, um, due to, uh, you know, Maybe they didn't have this information of of how to get their ducks in a row, of how to present to CPS, um, how to make their case, um, or they didn't even know that CPS would be on their side if if they um, talked to them, and they've decided to leave the country. Does that put them in a more precarious situation should they ever come back? It depends on the state. I think... Right now, we're having an experience in Suffolk County, New York, where there's an overly aggressive child protective services that got upset with a woman who pulled her child off of long-term chemo. And Yeah, this was a pretty viral campaign that, that happened, right, Re- pretty recently. Yeah. It's ju- you know justice for Nick Gunderson or justice for Nicholas Gunderson. He's a 13-year-old boy who doesn't want the long-term chemo, who's in remission, doesn't have cancer, and yet is being forced. And she was granted permission by a judge to move to Florida and treat her child holistically there. And then CPS just got a different judge to slam the door on that and take the child back. There's no justice at all. 
And so in that situation, if she were to leave the country, um, these people might have had the power to go look for her in another country. Wow. In in the case of, of – and it's been done in the past. They've used something called Interpol to track these families down and bring them back. That That's how much money is in the chemo industry and oh how gosh. much they don't want anyone to leave. Now, in the case of the, the people in the film who left the country, uh, they were coming from the state of Missouri. Missouri – does not have the money to go track down a family that moves to a foreign country. And so this family was really fortunate to um, be savvy enough to take care of their child and to do the detox and the nutrition um, to take care of their child with medical help from the new country. And um, once they realized that, you know, their state, Missouri, was not going to be able to chase them down, they felt more comfortable with having, you know, more freedom to live in the United States and live in a different state. But um, nine times out of 10, even if you move to a different state, they're going to have trouble following you. Um, but uh, Unless your state is so well funded that CPS has nothing to do but try and find yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I just think that's a last ditch scenario is leaving the country. Sometimes it has to be done. But um, yeah, they, generally they just don't have the money or the time to really follow you. Um, and to come back to chemotherapy real quick for a second, because I was thinking about something. There, there are a lot more people being diagnosed with autoimmune conditions these days. And just from a high level overview in the autoimmune um, situation, your your body's immune system is attacking itself. It's already not functioning uh, properly, sufficiently. So is there any sort of um, is there a different type of chemotherapy approach to those with autoimmune conditions? Because it seems like that's a that would be a huge consideration as as you're burning the immune system down. Yeah, there is not a different approach, and in fact, in New York, they wanted to give vaccinations to this immune compromised child who was on chemo, and the mother was successful in getting a court order to stop that. And getting um, a, an attorney uh, who who would fight for her in court, and um, so CPS backed off of that. The doctors backed off. Everyone backed off. But I mean, it just highlights the fact that they were trying to do it. They were trying to give a whole bunch of vaccines to an immune compromised child, hmm. and they they just really don't care about the immune system. They all they care about is what's in their little toolbox right. and everything in their toolbox is toxic and designed to kill things. And that just um, reminds me like when, when you do have to, if, if you are required to sign anything, cause I always ask that a lot of parents ask me like, Oh, my doctor gave me this form. Should I sign it? I'm like, I don't know, Google it. Like most cases, no. Um, but I like that, you know, when I do have to sign something, I will cross things out. And I don't yeah. tell people, I never ask. You don't ask for permission and that right. kind of stuff. You just, you just cross off and then you sign initial whatever. Um, but when you, you do need to read everything that you're signing. And I do know because I've been through birth and you go to the hospital and they put in the paper that you're, you're, you, and or your child may be given biologics and they can deliver vaccination via IV. So it's not like, you know, mm -hmm. they come in with the needle that says, hey, I'm going to give you an injection right now. It's that you don't even realize the vaccination is being administered and it's under a different wording. So make sure you understand 
all the words and you can ask all the questions before you you sign things or just you know cross it out if you don't know what it is and they don't want to give you the time yeah and my non-professional non-attorney uh, advice right and also if you, you're not happy with your oncologist or your doctor or whoever then find another one i mean you're not you're not limited to just one doctor one hospital you can go to a different one and keep find going until you find the one that's willing to work with you right. and you know these families there's a lot of families that contacted me that said hey we were able to stop the final year of chemo um, our doctors were receptive and they were willing to hear arguments about the MTHFR gene. That's awesome. So, yeah, you can you have power and uh, you can absolutely find someone different if if there's an abusive situation. So, um and I just want to encourage people to go um to your website. It's flippingthescript.com. Um it has links to where you can find the film. Um, you can read everybody's story that that's in there, but also there is a section there that says treatment and you can click on treatment. There's also stopping chemo, which kind of gives you a game plan of this is what you need to do. You, you know, get an attorney, find a new health team, mm-hmm. um, whether or not you're, that attorney is going to be present with you, um, how to educate CPS gives you mm-hmm. a lot of verbiage and what, what you need to do before you pull the cord. And so you avoid a situation like, you know, CPS coming, coming after you in, in raising red flags throughout that. Um, and with treatment in terms of, um, uh, nutrition and what you mentioned before in terms of IV therapy and, um, I feel like infrared sauna may have been on there as well. Um, yep. And a whole bunch of supplements to support the gut, support the immune system. And so there's a lot of information just on his website, Flipping the Script. Um, but then obviously you can go and, and watch the, the film for yourself. Um, you know, I, I did, I feel like I knew about cancer and chemo from a high level. And obviously, because I had said I had kind of watched it through people in my life. Um, but there were a few pieces of the puzzle that my husband and I were like, I think okay. I think this kind of solidifies what our what our general understanding was, and now we kind of understand the why as to why we maybe felt that intuitive repulsion, or um, it kind of fits in into what um, our instinct was. And um, but there was any, any parent knows uh, cries. There, there are. There's, there's the whiny cry. There's the I'm hungry cry. There's the I'm in pain, but it's not as bad <laughs> cry. There, there was a part of the film that I just, I just started sobbing because the mom had filmed. Um, I'm crying thinking about it. Uh, their, their child, you know, in the middle of chemotherapy, um, and the wretched cry of helpless pain that child was in um a mom a dad knows that cry and that's what they're acting out of and um that more than anything it it spoke to me because as a parent to feel like you can't not um make that stop that you have to continue with what you know is is uh, could be killing them and that cry of distress um is is haunting and um and and for the record the the boy was getting something called methotrexate which is the burn down the house chemotherapy it was causing so much pain for this five-year-old boy he was just screaming 
my tummy hurts, my tummy hurts over and over. And the mother got the entire thing. And it's so brutal. I was traumatized for a week after hearing that. We, we figured we have to put it in the film, but we have to do it in a way that doesn't traumatize the viewer so much. So we just put it in for like five seconds. Mm-hmm. But that five seconds is enough for anyone, like you say, who recognizes it to go, oh my God, we are doing this to our children and this has to stop. And um, yeah, it's powerful. And I, I still feel like that video, if I could email that to every pediatric oncologist in the country, mm-hmm. um, if they were open and receptive, it would change their minds. Right. And these oncologists are not coming home with you. They don't They don't witness that. They aren't there with you at nighttime um, mm-hmm. during the day watching all of this unfold um, right. in context. Um, and, and I have said this about everything in the world, you are the subject matter expert on your child. No doctor is going to come in and say that that this therapy that is given to every single child out there, um, your child is unique. You observe them and you um, listen to your gut and investigate that um, and figure out what is going to work best for your family and find a team, an attorney, whoever that is going to help you implement that in a, in a legal fashion, um, in a way that you can, um, be successful with it and not have it backfire on you. Um, but our intuition is there to be explored and figure out why do I feel this way? And, um, yeah, that cry, like you said, it's powerful. Um, it's and, undeniable. And good, yeah. And the good news is two months after that cry, the mother was so fully educated that she was able to say no to the doctors, educate CPS. They told her she could get off the chemo. I just saw the child a month ago. The family was here. Um, they did the the live cell dark field microscopy to confirm no cancer in the child's body. Mm. Um, some repair needed to be done. And he could do that with the protease and the probiotics. And uh, he doesn't need to be on cannabis oil anymore. Um, so uh, there's a happy ending to this. You know, this is, this is a child that would have had to do two and a half to three more years of chemo. And it was stopped. And the child's thriving now. And so there's a happy ending. That's that's amazing. And so I um, have just talked about cannabis on a, the previous podcast. And so I hope my um, if you haven't listened to it, you can listeners can go and listen to that and explores the difference of CBD and THC and all and all the full mm-hmm. spectrum and stuff. But is it is um, cancer more of a one to one ratio with THC CBD even in children? It, it is. Um, you you want to kind of do the one-to-one ratio of THC and CBD. It creates the perfect honeypot for the cancer cells to um, think it's food and they go after it and eat it. But the mitochondria of the cancer cell revs at a very high rate. And when it gets a hold of this THC, um, it just explodes. It's too much for it and it dies. And um, it's attracted to the CBD and the THC, but it's the THC that actually kills the cancer cell. So um, you kind of need both. So are these are these children on it for a short period of time, or they're taking it day and night, or is it just at night? So they're not, you know, um, you know, because I, mean, I would assume these children would be getting high. Yeah, you don't really get high. Um, um, it's maybe a little tired, maybe a little sleepy, but it's not. 
there's no psychotropic effects. And, you know, they were being given by the doctors, you know, fentanyl, Ativan, Mm -hmm. all these things that, you know, that created the horrible immune suppression and the bad results. But the cannabis oil doesn't really affect them that way. You, You dose them heavier at night. So they just sleep. It helps them sleep. Right. And then during the day, it's kind of anti-anxiety, but not really psychotropic. So it's a win-win. And um, how long do they need to be on it? Um, yeah, probably 90 days is, is a good cycle. And then keep testing. And if you feel like you want to keep doing it, keep doing it. But you don't have to. Right. Okay. Well, um, I hope this was helpful for people. I know that um, I... Uh... <laughs> If my child gets so sick in the future, though, I, I do feel like I'm a little nervous, but I, I feel like at least I'd be adequately prepared and know perhaps chemo isn't um, the enemy initially, and I know what I need to do uh, to get a plan in place should that be required. And so I think that puts me at you know more peace of just being in, an informed citizen. Absolutely. And you know, there's people out there who you can uh, ask questions to, you know, people that are available that will answer you. And you can go to Facebook these days or social media and just say, Hey, I have this issue. Does anyone know who I can call? And within 24 hours, you can get somebody that will give you the healthy alternative. So people can always contact me. Um, there are other people they can contact and we're not as reliant as we used to be on just one person telling us what we have to do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And would you agree? I feel like there was some science out there that said um, the mainstream doctor um, averages about 17 years behind what's current. Yeah, I mean, no question about it. Uh, it takes 10 years for a new therapy or a new drug to come to market. So they are always 10 years behind <laughs> what's being done. And because they're limited to only being able to test drugs, they're not even aware of the all, all the possibilities that are out there. So right, because they're not being tested now means even if they start today, it could be anywhere from ten to twenty years before exactly they, yeah. they get that information. Exactly. All right. All right. So, so this is this is all good information to have, and it just you guys are as the New York Times told you, you're digitally enabled, and I would challenge you to use that and educate yourself. Don't just latch onto anything because it's not allopathic medicine, I would challenge you to do your actual research and and read um, stories and talk to people, watch the film. And, and- by the way, we're, we're in an age where uh, medical people like to poo-poo anecdotal testimony. Mm. They say, oh, it's just anecdotal testimony. Don't trust it. Yeah. Actually, for me right now, anecdotal testimony is the only thing I trust because the medical information has been so corrupted yeah. that I can't even trust what studies are being put out there mm-hmm. and um, who's funding them and exactly. who, the scientists being incentivized and getting paid by the manufacturers. It's, it's all a mess. So if you've got another mother who's telling you, this is what works uh, to go, you know, listen to that and find other mothers that agree. And then you found something you can trust. Yeah. it's a good point. All right. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and um, everybody go and check out the website, check out the film, let you let um, let us know um, how you like it and um, spread the word again. 
just because a friend of yours doesn't have cancer, doesn't have a child with cancer, I think the important part about this, all of this is just to uh, be equipped. And so I would spread this message and um, also sign the change. You have a change.org petition as well, right? That you're going to deliver. Um, uh, yeah, we do. And and I just want to say too, knowledge is power. And this mm-hmm. film will give you so much knowledge. Um, it'll, it'll help you on a number of areas, health areas, not just cancer. Yeah, I agree. And you can find the petition on the website as well under Flipping the Script. And then right. um, under Treatment, there's a petition and it takes you to uh, change.org to stop the forced chemo on, on children. And so... And with that, uh, we'll close and you can uh, let us know if you have any questions and let us know what you think and what you learned today. Amen. And people can contact me on the website if they need to. All right. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thanks, Jenny. Wow. Well, I hope you feel more informed. I hope you feel educated. I hope you feel equipped to be able to tackle this should you need it. And what's going to happen from here is I'm going to create a blog post. You'll be able to go to jannyorganically.com, my latest podcast as of this moment, or you can search for uh, Jeff Weitzman or cancer on, on the blog, and it'll probably populate this podcast as a blog post. So there'll be a transcription of our entire conversation. I'll also link to mostly everything that we talked about So there'll be a link to his website, flippingthescript.com. It'll also have links to his subsections of, um, you know, what to do to stop chemo and uh, supplements, etc. And yeah, so I hope that you share this with anybody because the goal of all this is to be informed citizens, to be informed parents, to be able to make the best decision for our family as it relates to us. And if you wouldn't mind, um, you know, if you have already downloaded this episode, great. If you could just give us a rating and a review. When that happens, this podcast gets elevated in the um, recommended podcast. So it gets to more people. So if you could do that for me, I greatly appreciate it. Again, you can find all this information on jannyorganically.com. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.